we want to make sports betting more accessible to demographics that have traditionally not participated in the same volume as the traditional male middle-aged demographic that we're used to in sports betting. So we've seen some great success in that realm. And we have to remember in the U.S. particularly, this is a new experience for most users. Most people as new states come on have never legally bet on sports or bet on sports at all. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear my conversation with Aaron and Evan from Sparkit, which is the social bet work. The guys discuss how their platform is helping operator partners reach new audiences that don't fit within the historical sports betting demographic, why they decided to raise their current funding round through a public crowdfunding campaign, and their experience this year pitching Sparkit at three different industry conferences around the world. I was really impressed with their focused execution on getting Sparkit to where it is today and hope you enjoy hearing their story as much as I did. But before we get started, I'm asking you to help spread the good word about the Betting Startups podcast, which you can do by giving us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. I genuinely appreciate your support. Now, onto the show. All right, we are back with episode 47 of the Betting Startups podcast. And today we're welcoming Aaron and Evan from Sparkit. And guys, I recently saw you at the G2E conference in Las Vegas, where you were one of five finalists selected to pitch live at the G2E Innovation Challenge. And one of the cool things I thought about that competition was that the live audience members got to vote on their favorite startup and Sparkit emerged as the audience's top pick. So congratulations, first and foremost, on earning that recognition. Obviously, with only three minutes to pitch, I didn't get to hear the full depth of the Sparkit story. So excited to have you here today to dig a little deeper. Let's just start off here, um, maybe just doing a quick retrospective on G2E and see how your overall G2E conference was and what was it like as well for you guys to be up there on stage pitching Sparkit at the G2E Innovation Challenge. Yeah, G2E was great. It's interesting. We actually were there last year in the innovation labs. So we got to do, you know, a pitch in front of some of the folks, but it wasn't part of the competition. So it was great to kind of step up this year and, and really get into the competition and really humbled to be able to be voted by the winners from the audience. So that was awesome. Awesome. Well, let's leave G2E there. Again, congrats on the nod from the audience at the Innovation Challenge. Um, before we get into Spark it specifically, maybe we could spend a couple minutes just introducing each of you individually and hearing a bit about yourselves and your backgrounds. And Evan, maybe we can start with you. If you can tell us a little bit about your background and maybe some of the major chapters of your journey up until the start of Sparkit. Sure. Yeah. The the previous eight years before I joined Spark at full time, I was at Google and on the product operations side. So looking at customer experience and helping build out products, uh, particularly on the ad side. I'm based in New York City currently, although I'm originally from LA, uh, went to Columbia Business School out here. And so the kind of juncture between tech and finance kind of shaped my background and my journey to spark it. Awesome. And Aaron, how about yourself? Yeah, I have an interesting uh, journey, I guess. My first career was a math teacher. So background was in math and computer science, but really liked working with students, got into that. After getting transferred to a middle school, I got a little burnt out, went back to school at UCLA for finance, worked at an asset-backed security firm, running all sorts of credit models, AI, machine learning, statistics, and kind of got him. Obviously, that fits well with sports. I've always been a big fantasy player. Evan and I have actually been buddies since high school. So we were president and vice president of the math club back in the day and uh, kept that relationship alive. And been in the same fantasy football league for 20 plus years now and well proud to say i'm in first place right now and uh just you know had this idea kept building it out and kind of grew it from there 
Awesome. Well, let's talk a bit more about, I guess, the origins of Sparkit. And again, maybe just from each of your previous chapters to sort of the time you guys got going meaningfully with Sparkit, just that in-between period, why don't you can just tell me a bit about, you know, the initial conversations were like between you, as you just alluded to, Aaron, you guys have known each other for many, many years. Like, take me back to the, I guess, the original conversations and just going from zero to one. Talk me a bit about that journey. Sure. Yeah, I think probably starts with personal frustration, right? Every Everything, Sparkit came from the word sports marketplace. We saw after the 2018 ban was uplifted, there's going to be a lot of different types of sports products that are going to be starting to hit the market, whether it's, you know, my background in finance, so whether it's derivative type things, things in other spaces, particularly esports. I'm a big gamer myself too. And, and, you know, on the Super Bowl, you could bet on anything, right? So why can't you do that for everything else that's out there? I think that's kind of what, what sparked the, the drive to build this. Evan spent a ton of time at Google building successful products. So we kind of combine our knowledge to come up with this marketplace idea after meeting some of the folks in Vegas shaped into this more paramutual pool betting style. And I think that's kind of how everything started growing. It's funny because Aaron and I started ideating, you know, we both had full-time jobs, but just on the side over a beer or whatever in the evening, we'd start ideating about different business ideas. And that was way back in 2018. And that's when the Supreme Court made the decision to overturn the federal ban. And we knew there was going to be an opportunity there, but we weren't sure what it was going to be. And so we continued ideating. And as Aaron mentioned, we eventually went out to Vegas and sort of talked with a bunch of operators out there who we were fortunate to get connected with through our advisors. And they really pointed us in this direction. Uh, we were trying to solve a couple of problems that we saw in the marketplace, namely that A, the market's missing certain demographics. We're, we're particularly focused on those alternative events or exotics within traditional sports that are underserving not only people who like traditional sports, but female demographic, Gen Z, et cetera, who aren't necessarily looking to bet the money line on an NFL football game. So we wanted to build a product that was accessible to everyone with kind of more community feel, social feel, and that's how it evolves over time. We want to kind of help operators differentiate what they have in the market versus the traditional sports folks that seem to be everywhere nowadays. Awesome. So you sort of hinted at a couple of the aspects of Sparkit, but now's a good time to maybe dig in and do a deeper dive on exactly what it is. And maybe again, just for the benefit of those listening that might not be familiar with Sparkit, it'd be great if we could just start with sort of a high concept overview of what it is, what does it do, and just what's the overall value proposition of it? Yeah. So we're a B2B sports book technology. Uh, we have two key features. So uh, instead of betting against the house, which is the traditional way that sports betting happens. The sports book either keeps your money or pays you out. And you're always reading about, oh, sports books got hammered this weekend or took a lot of money from the, the players. Um, this is community-based betting. So think of a horse race, which is one of the inspirations or a poker table where the house is simply there to ensure a fair betting marketplace and take a, a fixed commission. Um, with that style of betting, plus we have crowdsourced data, which is what our patent is really around. We're able to offer operators an opportunity to expand into different bet types and different markets without taking exposure and without needing to set up a data feed for each new event type that they'd like to offer. So, for example, there's a hot new esport, let's say, that pops up tomorrow. As a sports book operator, you may not have enough historical data to price that. So, you can either take your best shot and maybe get slammed by the millions of users who are watching that esport. Or you can offer it with our type of betting system where the odds set themselves based on the market and simply take a fixed commission. From the user side, 
you don't feel that adversarial relationship versus the house, right? The saying, the house always wins is kind of true. I mean, there's a couple professional sports bettors out there that do all right with their algorithms. But ultimately, the house catches up with them or even bans them from their platforms. We don't want that adversarial relationship with the house. We want to have the community engaging. It's a more fun environment and the sports books simply taking a fixed commission to provide that safe environment. Awesome. And wondering if you could talk a little bit about just the traction you have, however you want to define that, right? Sort of where is Sparkit at just from sort of a progress perspective? Yeah, sure. We've, uh, you know, piloted the program at, at several different locations, whether it was starting with some esports tournaments and drone racing. We've done some golf tournaments at local clubs. Uh, really, last year's Super Bowl, we piloted with a real casino, and that kind of helped, you know, start starting out the casino side of it and really just try to test it out, make sure that the product's fitting right, users enjoy the experience. And now recently, especially after getting the GLI certification, going to G2E and partnering with Red Rock Resorts, we're starting to scale up. Even since G2E, we've gotten a couple more clients on board and looking forward to just continuing to grow that, that client base. Yeah, awesome. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you released the announcement talking about your partnership with Red Rock Resorts and Stations Casinos, which is a fantastic milestone. Congratulations on that. Just wondering if you can give us a bit of insight into some of those conversations that you're having with operators and just, you know, talking to them about the value proposition of Sparkit and what the platform can do to drive their business. What's the feedback been from them and sort of what are you hearing just from those conversations so far? I think that's a great question. And it's interesting because from when we built the first demo. And even when we were pitching this originally, I think it has shifted. I think as Evan mentioned before, right? Sports books are all offering the same spreads and the same bet types. And they're spending a lot of money on customer acquisition costs, really competing with each other. And now more recently, we've seen them be much more open to this because they're realizing that there's other demographics out there available to tap into other sports and they want to be offering something different. And so it's been a, an interesting transition, especially having the GLI certification in place has really opened that up a lot. And, you know, they want to get new customers as well. And that's, that's our goal in the end of the day is help them get more customers. Awesome. And then I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about just the overall business model and the revenue model and sort of how are you packaging up and commercializing the product? Yeah, what's, what's great about it is that our business model is based on the success of our partners. The main revenue we get for the real money application is a percent of the handle. Again, because it's paramutual, they're simply taking a percent of the overall pot and then we take a percent of that. So if we're able to come in and generate more volume and handle for these sports books, we win and they win. Um, there's an upfront license and ongoing maintenance fee, but that's the key component of it. So it's a really easy value proposition for them because it's something that they can try. And if it's successful, we both win. Absolutely. Well, sounds like the alignment of incentives there almost makes it to some extent a no-brainer for the sportsbooks to at least try it out. Um, I'm curious as well, guys, you've talked about, you know, different demographics that you're aiming to reach. I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about just how successful it's been so far actually reaching these demographics, just sort of what levels of engagement you're seeing from some of these audiences that might not have yet adopted traditional sports betting. Yeah. So we, we can give a few examples. We've done so many different fun events to try to engage different audiences, whether it be an esports tournament. We did a bachelorette pool earlier this year and we saw, for example, let's, let's take Kawea Casino as one of our tribal casinos partners. Um, on the floor of their casino, we ran simple social pools for the Super Bowl and they saw their highest social engagement of all time during that event because we built in organic social sharing, seeing how your friends are doing, 
um, versus yourself on leaderboards, simple things of that nature that, that drive retention and organic sharing and drive down user acquisition costs. They already, they also saw during a football game that their broadest participation was from a female demographic. And so that's kind of proving out the concept of what we want to do. We want to make sports betting more accessible to demographics that have traditionally not participated in the same volume as the traditional male middle-aged demographic that we're used to in sports betting. So we've seen some great success in that realm. And we have to remember in the U.S. particularly, this is a new experience for most users. Most people as new states come on have never legally bet on sports or bet on sports at all. So we tried to build an experience from the ground up that's super intuitive to new users. There's a sense of intimidation that we've seen, and we've done some music testing on this, when you open a sports book for the same time, for the first time, and they throw like 20 different numbers at you. And you may not know what minus 135 or even plus seven, what that even means. So we put one or two numbers in front of you, clearly explain what's going on, and we've seen great results. You've both made references now to GLI certification, and I obviously know what that is, but I'm not going to assume that everybody listening to the podcast will be familiar with GLI. So I do want to ask a bit about that, but maybe just to start off with, can you just quickly explain what GLI is and why you and Sparkit had to get certified by GLI? Yeah, so GLI stands for Gaming Labs International. Uh, it's the biggest test lab in the world for certifying gambling products. Specifically in our case, we got the live event wagering certification. One way to think of it is like the FDA approval of a wagering app. Most states in the U.S. use it verbatim or some form close to GLI to allow you to operate your product as real money. When we started talking to operators uh, even a couple of years ago, we were told, hey, do you have GLI yet? That was consistent feedback that we got from the marketplace, even if we were trying to pitch them a, a free-to-play product, which for which it would not be required because there's so many great ideas out there but to really prove that you're able to achieve the technical milestones necessary to run a robust app, protecting user data, uh, ensuring responsible gaming, ensuring geolocation, ensuring identity verification that the user is 21 plus, uh, the GLI certification gives you a stamp that you're able to accomplish all those things in a safe and secure environment. So for our business model, especially as, as a B2B player in the sports betting tech space, uh, it was essential. And it was a great experience working with them as well. Awesome. I'm just wondering if you can elaborate briefly on that, Evan, in terms of just, I guess, demystifying the process of GLI, just for those that haven't been through it before, you know, what's sort of the extent of that, uh, I guess, testing and, and certification process, right? Like how long is it? And just sort of like, what's the, the depth of, I guess, review that's being done and, and sort of what does that mean for you guys sort of working with GLI and collaborating to get the platform certified? Yeah, it's a huge effort. Um, I loved it as kind of a project program manager tech background because they clearly list out all the requirements. It's 20 to 30 pages of requirements, but at least you know exactly what you need to do. And so we've been working with our tech team for over a year, maybe 18 months on working through those requirements. We actually partnered with GLI close to the beginning of our journey and had like monthly consulting sessions with them where we would make sure we were building it right in the first place which involved a little bit more upfront cost and effort, but made the certification process run a lot more smoothly. When you get to the certification itself, they open that checklist and rigorously go through each one line by line and test the technology behind your application. They try to break it. They're doing things on geolocation, like driving over borders and back and trying to place a bet, making sure it doesn't work um, and all those things. So it's, it's pretty rigorous, but now going forward, as we add more features and bet types to our product, 
it'll be on this foundation, which is extremely secure. So we're really pleased with how the whole process went, even though it was a huge effort up front and really proud for the tech team and developers for all their efforts going into that as well. Awesome. That's fantastic. Shifting a little bit here, about a month, month and a half ago, you guys released an announcement that you are going to be launching an equity crowdfunding raise on a crowd investing platform called Start Engine. And I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about your thinking and decision to raise on a public crowdfunding platform. I actually think you're the first guests that I've spoken to on the podcast that have done that. So I'm just sort of curious to understand the thinking and sort of how you arrived at that decision and, and just what the contributing factors were that led you to sort of take that approach with the fundraise. Yeah. So prior to that, we had raised about a million dollars from friends and family, angel investors through safe notes, uh, convertible for equity. But, you know, we were looking at the market in general, seeing how the economy had been going. And honestly, we were building a product, you know, for the people and we're trying to democratize sports wagering in general with big social platform that anyone can have access to. And we saw this opportunity. We actually started the onboarding process with Start Engine back in June. So it's, you know, it's very uh, intense. You know, they do a lot of due diligence on the company, just like any other kind of capital raise would be. And it took almost three months to go through that whole process to make sure we had everything in order on our team. And now we're live with them. And it's it's been a pretty interesting experience. We've gotten a lot of new investors. And, you know, really in the end of the day, it's about building the community. And so now if people aren't, invested with us, even if it's only for, you know, a small amount, as low as $250. Now they feel like they're part of the team. They're going to help share this with their friends and their network. And so it just felt like the right decision to kind of build up their, their networks with, with us. Yeah. Just to add to that. Um, so just equity crowdfunding is a platform for us to offer our equity shares in our company for as little as $250, even to non-accredited investors. So we can open it up to a broader network than we could previously when we were doing the safe notes that Aaron talked about and kind of build that community around our, pro our product. Also, from a founder perspective, this allows us to get more runway and more traction before needing to raise institutionally so that when we go for that seed round, which is coming up early next year, hopefully for us, uh, we'll have more traction and we'll give away less of, less of the company and probably get a bigger valuation at that time. So it kind of extends our runway in that regard and better positions our company for the VC markets if we decide to go that route. Awesome. And what's the initial participation been like from your your audience and from your community, right? Are you, are you sort of seeing people show their support for Spark It by actually participating? And sort of like, what, what's the journey been like so far with the crowdfunding campaign? been great. We've met a lot of new people through it. People asking a lot of interesting questions. We raised a hundred grand, just under a hundred grand in, a, in the first month. And we've got a couple months to go here. Um, and our goal was to raise like a hundred K over the whole period there. So it's been a great experience so far. Working with Start Engine has been great. Uh, the onboarding process was really rigorous and long, as Aaron mentioned, but that positioned us with a lot of due diligence that we would have to do for future capital raise anyway. Awesome. Uh, switching gears here again, we talked at the outset here of our conversation today just about G2E the other week. And it's interesting, I've actually 
met you guys three times this year at three different conferences. And just uh, this past April in London at the ICE conference, I met you guys there. You were pitching at the Pitch ICE competition, which is the startup pitch competition at that conference. Then in July at the SBC summit in New Jersey, you guys were one of the finalists pitching again at the first pitch competition at SBC. Uh, and then, as I just mentioned at G2E a couple of weeks ago, you were there yet again, pitching in the innovation challenge. So you guys are no strangers to the conference circuit or sort of the startup pitch aspect of them. And I'm just curious, given that you've covered a lot of miles so far this year, talking about Spark it and just getting the name out there and meeting people. wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience attending these industry conferences. Obviously, you know, it's a huge time commitment traveling to these things. It's a big cost commitment attending these things. And I wonder if you can talk a bit about that, given that you've been fairly visible so far this year at all of the industry shows. Yeah, I think going to all these conferences is really invaluable because it, you know, as, as big as the, the, the world seems in sports betting, um, it's really run by, you know, a pretty small community of people that you'll, that you'll run across in multiple of these conferences. And so, especially as a startup kind of breaking into the scene, it's been very crucial to just get to know the folks and get our names out there. And I think, you know, being able to pitch in three different competitions and then winning this last one kind of adds validity to what we're doing and getting to know the people I think is, is just crucial, right? Because they're the ones making decisions in the industry and they need to have some trust in our products outside of just having a GLI certification. It's good to get to actually know the people that are running the business, like, like me and Evan here. So hundred percent. Um, on another topic, you know, just the entrepreneurial journey for each of you guys, a couple of questions on this, if you don't mind the first being, and Evan, particularly for you, with your background in eight years at Google, I'm just sort of curious, like how has the journey been for you taking that big leap from Google and sort of going out into the, the unknown, right? Starting Spark It and just kind of all of the uncertainty that's inherent with the startup. Like what, what was your experience going through that and, and how are you feeling about it all now? It's definitely a scary leap, I would say, uh, you know, you leave the golden handcuffs as they call them, um, particularly at Google where there's the free food every day and just great people that I'm working with, uh, from across the world really at Google, but I wouldn't change it for the world really having come to spark it and diving in full time. Uh, it's the experience of a lifetime. I'm learning so much about everything. And, and I mean that everything to do with the company, as far as legal stuff, HR, accounting, issuing equity, you know, just building every element of, of a company from the ground up, uh, alongside Aaron, it's been an incredible experience. And I wouldn't change that for the world. It's, it's something really unique. It's not as glamorous as it sounds to be a, an entrepreneur, I would say, but it's definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot of late nights, a lot of anxiety on, on every aspect of the business, but at the end of the day, it's, it's super rewarding and educational. Awesome. And wondering if you guys could think about the start of your journey with Spark it and bit of a hypothetical question here, but if you could go back to the very beginning, knowing what you know today, what's one thing you might do differently and, and why would you do it differently? Yeah, I think almost to the point from before, uh, go to these conferences earlier, start networking earlier, marketing within the industry more, getting our idea out there ahead of time. You know, I think every entrepreneur, entrepreneur thinks, you know, they wish they were where they were a year ago, right? You know? Uh, we've made amazing progress in the last year and, you know, a lot of the stuff, maybe if we just did it sooner, then we'd be further along, but that's, that's how it is. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, we didn't talk about this answer in advance, but I was going to say the same thing, you know, just going sooner, faster. And, uh, you know, this, this industry is evolving very quickly 
And so we think we're extremely well positioned. It's still really early. You know, it's less than five years since legalized in, in the U.S. and even less for most states, but still going as quickly as possible, I think would be the one thing that we could, we could change looking back. Yeah, I could definitely relate to that. Looking forward then on a go forward basis, what are the main milestones and sort of focus areas for you guys next year? And I guess if we fast forward a year from now and you look back on 2023, you know, what would a successful year look like for Sparkit in 2023? Yeah, I'll just probably start with the, the typical answer for all businesses is hitting profitability, which I think we're pretty close to doing. And so in order to do that, we need to get some more clients on board. But, you know, we don't have a huge team. Uh, Evan and I are the two co-founders and we have some tech folks. But other than that, it's a lot of people working for equity and advising us and putting in their, their you know, sweat and time. So hitting profitability is fairly reasonable, I think, for us by the end of 23, which is what, you know, every investor wants to hear. So that's what we're getting for. Awesome. And then beyond the profitability angle, as far as, you know, the product goes or the platform goes or the rollout of it, what are some other things you guys are thinking about for big milestones for next year? Yeah, the product side, we want to add more bet types. That's really the underlying goal in general is to add new things to the marketplace. Right now we have our pool-based wagering system and we want to add things to that. If you think of horse races, there's, which, which our platform is in part inspired by, there's a lot of different bet types that you can make on horses at the track. And we want to add some of those exactas, trifectas, so that we can have our version of our parlay in the system. Looking ahead, we may even look to add things like fixed odds to our platform so that we can offer an end-to-end -end platform, not just the parimutuel piece as an add-on. So th those are some of the things that we're looking on on the product side. And it's really exciting for us because we've spent the last, like I said, 12 to 18 months just focusing on these GLI technical security requirements and things of that nature. And now our dev team can start to have some fun with product features and user experience and things of that nature. Awesome. This leads to the last question, which is always the most important question on every episode of this podcast, which is this, if you weren't working on Sparkit or if you guys were doing anything in sports or tech or haven't been working in any of your previous careers in a parallel universe, what would each of you be doing instead? For me, uh, my passion is in sustainability. So I actually started my career in the energy industry and with big oil and then kind of repented over time with sustainability, worked for the environmental defense fund, worked for a solar startup. And so in a parallel universe, I'm uh, diving back into that and, and doing something in that realm. So Aaron. Yeah, I think, you know, I've had a couple of different careers at this point from being the math teacher to the hardcore finance world, probably do something a little more relaxing with uh, maybe with some animals or something, raising some puppies or I don't know, something like that. Love my, my pets that I got. They helped me get through pandemic. Like I think a lot of people did. So probably something in that realm there. That's all right. I love that answer. Um, for folks listening that would like to learn more about Sparkage or maybe understand the platform a bit better and or get in touch with either of you, can you please point them to where they can do all that? Yeah, all of our socials are at BetSparkit. You can check out our website, BetSparkit.com. All of our emails are my last name, Bash, at BetSparkit.com. Evans is fish. Fish at BetSparkit. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'll drop links to all those in the show notes. But for now, guys, really appreciate you joining. And once again, congratulations on being named the audience winner at the G2E Innovation Challenge. And it was great to learn more about Sparkit today and really wishing you guys all the best for the rest of the year and looking forward to continuing to follow the story. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today, Jesse.